This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. My name is Grace Johnson. I'm the special issues editor for the Peninsula Pulse. And today I am joined by a very special guest. His name is Joshua Philip Johnson. He is our 2020 Hal Prize Fiction judge this year and is also the author of one of my personal favorite books of 2021. So I'm pretty excited. (laughs) Uh, So welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah. Awesome. So have you ever been to Door County before? No, this is my first time. Yeah. And it's very, yeah, it's, I've heard a lot of people talk about it Mm -hmm. and often in this kind of longing sort of way. Oh, if only I could go to Door County. Oh, okay. And so, uh, yeah, it's great. I just got in today. So Mm -hmm. um, I'm looking forward to exploring and yeah, it's very beautiful though. Yeah, Yeah. It's wonderful. It's a good day. It's a good day to be up. Yeah. You know, it's been a little all over the place with the weather, but yeah, it is currently, I think 95 or 98 in my, where I live. And so, um, stepping out of the car to like 68 degrees and sort of letting a nice cool breeze was, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't think I want to leave. So yeah, over on this side in Bailey's, I mean, I'm 10 minutes away and I drive into work sometimes and it could be 80 degrees at my house. You come here and it's 70 degrees just because we're right on the water and it makes a huge difference. Yeah, it's great. All right, enough about the weather. <laughs> Let's get yeah. into it. We're going to talk about your book first. Okay. Um, and I don't want to get too spoilery or anything like that. So we're just going to kind of go over just some of the basics and what somebody might sure. you know, want to know about your book, The Forever Sea. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so it's a fantasy novel. People sometimes call it eco-fantasy. And yeah, we can talk about what that means. Mm -hmm. I don't don't know if I know exactly what that means. It's a sort of ship novel. So it's a story of a woman who works on a ship that sails on a sort of grassy sea. And so where I live used to be the tall grass prairie. It is farm fields now. It is, you know, corn and soybeans. But once upon a time, it was the tall grass prairie. And there's still little areas of that around the United States and up into Canada. And I've always been struck by the way in which the tall grass prairie, when it's kind of fully grown, looks just like a sea. I mean, you know, the grass sort of moves in the wind and and you can see waves traveling across. And so this book imagines that kind of literally, which Mm -hmm. I think, you know, a lot of fantasy novels do, right? You take a kind of abstract concept and you say, but what if it were real? Mm -hmm. And so this book does that. So um, there's a woman named Kindred who sails on a ship, sort of crosses this tall grass sea that's miles and miles tall. And the story sort of circles around her looking for her grandmother, kind of going in search for her grandmother, who uh, was a famous captain who sailed her ship off into the distance and then just sort of stepped off and disappeared into the tall grass sea. So Kindred is sort of looking for her and... Yeah, other things happen, mm-hmm. I guess, but uh, yeah, it's the best I can do. <laughs> yeah, and then we start getting into the details, and then we don't want to yeah. spoil that. But I know for me personally, I always really liked pirate stories, Yeah, and I'm a fantasy reader myself, and when I was a kid, I was obsessed with Pirates of the Caribbean. Yes. You know, who wasn't? I mean, yeah. it was a huge <laughs> deal. The summer that came out, we have a, a drive-in movie theater up here. Cool. And... That summer that came out, I pretty much went almost every night with my best friend because it was was just the greatest. So in adult life, looking for sort of piratey, kind of high seas adventure, I always found myself finding a lot of the 
I guess, you know, Harlequin romance <laughs> sort of variety of pirate, yeah. a lot of, you know, swashbuckling guys with deep Vs and mm -hmm. yeah. girls <laughs> that, you know, swoon at yes. blood or, you know, whatever, and a lot of adult content. And I always just wanted more than that. I wanted the adventure and I wanted the environment and that really that atmosphere and for me i really found that in this and mm -hmm. i loved that and i know i've seen this compared so many times but if anyone listening if you've ever seen studio ghibli movies my like immediately <laughs> when i saw the cover and i read it i'm like oh my gosh howl's moving castle <laughs> nausicaa yeah. valley of the wind yeah. and i'm just i love that and i think it was personally i i just really loved it thanks yeah yeah, yeah the that that sort of ghibli aesthetic is something that I, I don't think that i was thinking of it sort of consciously but i love ghibli movies mm -hmm. and have sort of really grown up watching them and thinking a lot about them and so that was yeah it was, it was sort of in my head and yeah the, you know there are a lot of pirate stories so this book has pirates in it and you know i think it's hard to think about kind of sailing kind of shippy naval books without having pirates mm -hmm. or without you know that's like the the kind of tropey thing and and i have them here but yeah those books are always or so often are you know sort of a bunch of kind of barrel-chested dudes doing dude stuff mm -hmm. and i'm i'm all for guys with deep v's but um <laughs> but also you know at a certain point you want to yes. you want to think about more than that and so yeah, so Kindred's entire crew, the the crew that she sails with, is all women. It's almost exclusively women who sail on ships. And I think for me, it wasn't. It w uh, yeah, I don't know. We can talk about this if mm -hmm. you want. Um, it, there was a kind of decision process that went into, yeah. into that, but it never felt like a like a uh, a sort of big important thing because I just I tried to think of it as just being a very normal thing in this world. And yeah. so, you know, I think a thing that can happen in typical stories is like there'll be one woman on the crew and people are always talking about how she's doing this and she's doing that and so you're constantly drawing attention to it which encourages a reader to continue thinking of it as sort of an odd thing or an anomaly mm -hmm. and so here there you know at no point does one woman turn to another and say like isn't it crazy that we're both women sailing on a ship exactly and, yeah. you know so i wanted to kind of push back against sort of tropey stuff while writing this. Yeah, and I also think that worked well with the um, development of the relationship in the story as well. I don't want to give too much away, but there is a little romance subplot, but it's not a huge part. But I really liked how that just very naturally developed over the whole story and Thanks. Yeah. added that little bit of not necessarily humanity for Kindred, but almost like a tether or something, you know, for her yeah. that, for me, how I read that but yeah romance is so hard to write i mean romance mm -hmm. as a genre gets sort of looked down on so much oh so much it's crazy i just like it's so hard to do mm -hmm. and i just have such massive respect for people who can use that as the kind of main ingredient in mm -hmm. their books and yeah. you know as you said it's it's a sort of minor plot here or it's it's not the the sort of key thing operating in this story and even that was was really hard for me to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's it's just very hard to do well, I think, so. And that just also played into all the relationships between everybody on the crew. And, yeah. you know, I think this really delves into that aspect of just these different relationships and, you know, yeah. everything that can happen with that. So. Yeah. We brought up briefly ego fantasy. Yeah. So we're going to touch on that a little bit. Themes of this book, a very big one is the environmental aspect. And you're going to be doing a workshop tomorrow. Um, well, today it is tomorrow. <laughs> By the time this comes out, it yeah. will probably have been passed. But yeah. June 25th, doing a workshop on kind of that 
world building, um, environmentalism and fantasy and things like that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so I think fantasy, maybe more than some other kind of speculative genres, but certainly in the way that I think all speculative genres have this happen to them, is is I think often kind of dismissed as being, I don't know, not especially serious or not mm-hmm. especially relevant to, to sort of in, in important issues that are going on, right? And so I think it's a really fair question to say, look, if you have something important to say about the environment, you know, we should all be thinking about the environment today, you know, why do it with this genre that seems to be pointing away from reality, right? Mm-hmm. And so... Yeah, I think that's a totally fair question. My my thought is fantasy has a couple of things working in its favor or or that are kind of built in that are really great for thinking about the environment. So one of the things that that I think environmentalists often encourage people to think about is is this thing called systems thinking, right? Sort of thinking beyond a particular phenomenon or a particular sort of catalyst and asking like, how does this work within a broader system of really interrelated factors? And like that's all world building is, right? Mm-hmm. You, you sit down, it's all, you know, this is what I'll talk about at, at that library thing. You know, you sit down and you ask, all right, I, I want to make a world where this thing happens, right? Whatever it might be, um, where, you know, every second born child floats, right? And everything else in the world is totally the same, but every second born child floats, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's easy enough to think about the story from just that angle and ask like, well, okay, so I'm going to start this story and have a second born kid float around and... It'll be neat, right? But I think the more interesting approach is to say like, so what does that change, right? If we extrapolate this out, suddenly it's like a really great thing to have two kids, or maybe it's a terrible thing, right? Maybe it presents all sorts of problems. And so instead of families just like getting to have however many kids they want or can or whatever, suddenly it's like, you've got to have two kids or you can, you should only have one kid, right? Or Mm -hmm. like what happens if you're the third born kid and you know, like Mm -hmm. your parents got the special one, you know? So you start thinking about this stuff and you pretty quickly get into some bigger discussions about ramifications. And this is how we, I think we have to think about environmental issues. And so I think fantasy just as a genre which uses this idea of world building and uses this idea of kind of imaginative play is really good for thinking about that stuff. I think there's also a kind of essential wonder built into fantasy. You know, there's lots of fantasy that's really dark and sad and grim and grim dark and whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think fantasy as a genre has as as a kind of core ingredient, some sense of wonder or sort of joy or awe or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a thing that we often overlook in discussions about climate or environmental issues, right? We're so focused on like, are we going to be able to make enough food? And when the sea levels rise, how much land is going to be submerged and how many people have to move? And that like that stuff's totally important. Mm -hmm. But I think it's also important to be able to like walk outside and, you know, like just before this, I was looking out across the water and there were a bunch of pelicans out there and like, there's like nothing cooler than pelicans, Mm -hmm. I think. Right. And so I think fantasy, you know, because so much of it is like, you know, there's a magic system or there's a different world or whatever it might be, has at its core a kind of wonder, right? You look at this thing and just think like cool or amazing or whatever. And so I wanted to capture that and I wanted to pair it with a landscape that's mostly disappeared, right? With Mm -hmm. the tall grass prairie. And I wanted to have a main character in Kindred who looks around at her world and has uh, as a kind of immediate, almost kind of gut level response a sense of wonder, right? Yeah. To, to look at something and just say like, it's amazing, mm-hmm. right? And uh, yeah, I, I feel that way often and I wish more people felt that way about yeah. w- whatever sort of environment mm-hmm. is important to you or is interesting. So I think eco-fantasy, which seems like, 
I don't know, maybe like a weird mashup. Just, yeah. it, it just feels like very natural to me. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of strong feelings about this as well. And, you know, I'm glad that we got to have a little moment of that as a fantasy reader. Sometimes there was a lot of times actually when in my late teens, early twenties, where, you know, when people are like, oh, you're a reader, you know, what kind of stuff do you read? And I'm like, I don't want to say fantasy because yeah. then they're going to look down on me. Like, yeah. and I was an English major. Shouldn't I be reading like classics and mm-hmm. Jane Austen and I don't know who else, wh- whoever, yeah. you know, but yeah, I've, you know, kind of embraced that more. And I have, you know, a lot more stuff that I've read and just, there is so much that this genre can do. And I think people really need to, explore it a little bit more you know yeah on eco fantasy also i thought this one was interesting i saw somebody i can't remember if it was like an online blog review or something but somebody had also described the forever sea and put it into what i believe they were calling kind of a new another new sub genre category of hope core (laughs) yeah yeah, <laughs> and I was yeah. like, "Hope Core." I've yeah. you know, because we like we <laughs> yeah. you know, just yeah. talked about we have like the very opposite of that, you know, like Joe Abercrombie kind of mm-hmm. dark. Everything is bad. Yeah. Everyone is a bad person. Yeah, doom and despair versus this the way that you described it, kind of a sense of wonder and yes, bad things are happening, but there yeah there is something to hold on to. And um, I really enjoyed that. And, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I've, I've seen people call it hope core or yeah. hope punk. Uh-huh. Um, everything's punk now. I get, you know, solar punk and silk punk. And uh-huh. yeah, I don't know. I, yeah. You know, I, think, I mean, it's yeah. like I had never, that was something I'd never heard of before. And I was like, yeah. I mean, there's something for everything now. You know? Right. Right. I mean, I think one of the things fantasy can do is take an idea and sort of run it to one kind of logical end or one kind of emotional extrapolative end or something like that. So, you know, Grimdark is this like, you know, this this genre that asks like, what kind of stories can we tell if we imagine these sorts of things, right? Uh, like a really super grim, everything is is, is rough, everybody is, is sort of super conflicted and, and, and messy and whatever. And I think those stories are important, right? I think mm-hmm. they should exist. I think... Maybe this says, maybe the, my book says just as much about me as I do about it or whatever. But, mm-hmm. but I wanted to write a story where there's a kind of essential goodness at work, yeah. right? And I don't know, I'm sure there are deep psychological reasons why that I don't have access to. Mm-hmm. But I think those sorts of stories are important today too, right? Not yeah. only those, right? I, I want Grimdark to exist and I want stories that are really complicated and morally gray to exist. And this story has some of that, the, the sequel that I'm working on right now has maybe more of that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I also wanted a story where where there could be some space for these emotions that I think are typically thought of as like childish, right? Yeah. There's maybe not as much immediately intellectually interesting about somebody like looking at a tree and saying, wow, it's beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. And so that I think that kind of emotional response is often thought of as being childish, right? I have a five-year-old and she regularly looks at stuff and is just awed by it, right? We were walking through the grocery store, one of the aisles of the grocery store the other day, and she pointed at some soup and said, dad, look, soup. And that was it. Just, she was just like amazed that there was (laughs) soup there. And I just thought like, yeah, Yeah. there it is, soup, right? Uh And so I think we think of this as a kind of childish thing that we kind of beat out of people as they get older, right? We kind of grind it out of them because it's not 
intellectually interesting. It's not valuable. It, it's vulnerable to be like that, right? But uh, I don't know. I think it's it's a really important thing to be able to have. So I wanted a story that that had that, yeah, as, as a kind mm-hmm. of central conceit or a central ingredient. But, you know, there are, like, I don't know if you've read any of Mary Robinette Kowal's Lady Astronaut books. No. Oh, they're so good. Are they? Oh, my gosh, they're so good. <laughs> right, but, write that down. but those books are like, there's a kind of central goodness to people in those books. Yeah. So hard stuff happens, bad stuff happens. But at, at their core, the people we follow around are like just good, capable people doing yeah. good, capable things. And in the mix of books that you read, I think it's great. Right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that that should be the only thing that you read because then you kind of cover your eyes with your hands and just sort of pretend nothing bad exists in the world. And of course it does. But but I think having it as part of, part of the mix is good. Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, yeah. hopefully while you're up this weekend, I didn't want to overload with everything so that you could if you wanted to have a chance to kind of explore around yeah. in up in Door County, um, environment, like environmentalism stuff. The environment is a very big part of our community culture. Yeah, We have a few state parks up here and a lot of different, I have a ton of land trusts and protected lands. And, yeah. you know, right down the street, we have the ridges, which is really great. I would definitely check them out. And so that's a huge part of our kind of everyday life up here. Yeah. So it's, you know, talking about these things is very important and yeah. especially for a lot of people in our community. So, yeah, it's funny how, you know, environmental issues get sort of like pushed up into the stratosphere sometime where we're just talking about like big policy things or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I, there's this other side of things, which is, you know, so many people have a deep connection to the land around them or yeah. the place where they grew up or whatever it might be, right? Or So I'm excited to explore around here. And it, it looks like the kind of place that people sort of live in a, in a kind of accordance with, which I'm excited about. Mm-hmm. Very cool. This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by Door County Medical Center. Are you looking for a job in Door County with excellent benefits, culture, and potential for advancement through tuition reimbursement programs? Door County Medical Center is hiring. For more than 75 years, Door County Medical Center has been the leader in health and wellness for Door and Kiwanee counties. Their integrated medical center provides a wide range of specialties, including primary care, behavioral health, general surgery, the Women and Children's Center, the Door Orthopedic Center, the Door County Cancer Center, and more. To join the team, apply today at dcmedical.org slash careers. All right, now we're going to switch up, kind of move away from details on the book, and we're going to talk about writing in general. Mm. So you teach at University of Minnesota Morris. Correct. Correct, and you teach like creative writing and... Yep, English. Yep. English. Yeah. yeah, so I teach some literature classes and some creative writing classes and then some kind of academic writing classes. Mm-hmm. So for instance, this past spring, I taught a class on fantasy literature where we talked about a lot of this stuff, mm-hmm. and I taught a class on fiction writing. So yeah, I... I you know, it's it's the kind of school where students have a lot of different interests and faculty have a lot of different interests. Mm-hmm. And so we're always trying to, to vary what we offer and to think in kind of interdisciplinary ways. So a big question I had um, talked to one of our other Hal Price judges, Angel Palm Hopkins, and I had asked her, tell me the journey of how <laughs> you've gotten to this place. <laughs> It's a big question, yeah. but, you know, kind of where your writing started, mm-hmm. what kind of got you into that, and yeah, the development of you as a writer. Sure, yeah. So I think probably like a lot of writers, I started as a reader, mm-hmm. and I think I still think of myself primarily as a reader. If I could only do one of two things, either reading or writing, and I'm not on deadline, then I always prefer to read books, I think... 
you know, it always sounds so melodramatic and, and hyperbolic to say this, but I think books really saved me when I was a kid. I had yeah. a, a kind of hard childhood, like a lot of other people in some ways, and stories were always a kind of refuge. When I was younger, I remember staying at my dad's house. My parents separated when I was younger, and I would go up into my room, and I would use candy money that my dad would give me to buy note cards, and I would make little choose-your-own-adventure stories on these note oh, cards, yeah. and I would I would sort of clear all the stuff in my room, you know, all the dirty clothes that I'd left on the ground. I would clear them all away, and so I'd have a big space on the ground, and I would make a kind of tree out of all of these note cards. You know, if you kill the Hydra, go to this page or whatever. Yeah. And that was, I think, for me, my first way of, like, using writing to sort of deal with the world around me, right? I think writing is such a great practice for mediating and engaging with the world and, and, and your experience. And so, you know, like little nine-year-old Josh wasn't thinking about that stuff mm-hmm. consciously, mm-hmm. but I think, you know, now I can look back on it and see it as, is that? Yeah. And so I was, a, I was a really kind of voracious reader for, you know, my whole life. I remember writing, you know, sort of terrible fan fiction when I was, you know, 14 or 15 or yeah, whatever I, on my... I, I yeah. definitely did that too. We've all, yeah, we've all done <laughs> it. But there's, there's nothing shameful about yeah. it. I am glad that the floppy disk that it existed on no longer exists, uh-huh. but uh, but there's nothing shameful about <laughs> it. And so I did that. And for me, I think it was always a way to sort of talk back to the books that I was reading, mm-hmm. right? Reading can be such a solitary act, even as, you know, there's all this sort of big, great stuff about like we read to know we're not alone and that sort of stuff. And that's true. But also I often feel kind of alone when I'm reading, right? I, I sort of go into my own little world and and I'm just sort of there with the book or with the the poetry or whatever I'm reading. And so I, I think I started writing initially as a way to sort of talk back to the book. You know, I, I would read something by whoever and think, that's so cool. I wonder if I could, if I could do that, right? Yeah. And so, you know, I'm going to rewrite Lord of the Rings, but instead of Frodo taking the ring to, you know, Mordor, it's someone who looks and sounds exactly like Josh, but is named... James or something, mm-hmm. and, and he's taking the necklace to, you know, whatever. Yep. Right? So, you know, you do that sort of stuff. Yeah. And and I think for me, it was a way of just saying, like, can I do this? And what does it feel like to do this? And and that sort of thing. So when I went to college, I was a, I was a whole bunch of other majors right away. And then I settled on being an English major because I loved reading. And I just thought, this is what you should do if you love reading. And then I went to graduate school at first for literary study. And I don't have anything against literary study. I think I realized that form of engaging with literature wasn't for me. Yeah. It just wasn't my favorite way to, to kind of talk back to, to literature and engage with it. And I, I also saw a lot of professors who I think had gotten to the point where reading had really become work for them, kind of exclusively work, and they, they couldn't sort of enjoy it anymore in the same way. So I remember I was taking the Shakespeare class because I was studying early modern literature. Mm-hmm. Um, I was doing this Shakespeare sort of independent study, I guess, with this professor and the school was putting on a performance of King Lear. So I hadn't read King Lear up until that point. So I read it and was just, you know, just like broken by it. It's just such a sad story in so many ways and, and so complicated and, and, and really beautiful in lots of ways. And then I went and saw the performance and it was a really great performance. And I was talking with the professor the next day about it. And I got this sort of weird feeling that like he was not particularly moved by the performance or, or by the play and so I asked him about it, and what he said was like, you know, I, I've read it too many times, and I've taught it too many times, and it just doesn't hit me like that anymore, right? Wow. You know, it's like a favorite meal that's mm-hmm. so great right away, but you have it, you know, 30 days straight, and by the end, you're like, I, I don't know if I want this anymore. And I just felt like, oh, I don't want to go down that road, mm-hmm. right? So I, I sort of cut my graduate school literary study path sort of short, 
and started teaching and I was just kind of sort of tooling around trying to figure out what I'm going to what I'm going to do next because I I didn't have my PhD and so there was kind of no long-term path for that. And then I met my wife at the school where I teach and I'd planned to stay there for maybe a year, maybe two years or something and I met her and she's a biology professor at this university and so she really loves her job and wanted to stay there and I thought, well, I don't know what I want to do, but I I want to be with this person and so so I stayed and eventually got my MFA at Augsburg University. Mm. I think it was Augsburg College when I went there, and now it's Augsburg University, I guess. Our, our typical podcast host, Andrew Clyden, went to Augsburg. Oh, nice. Okay. Actually, he was a theater major. Uh-huh. He's a theater guy. Yeah, another Augie, yeah. yeah. So this was like a low-residency program. So I could, uh, you know, I, you, you show up in the summer for like 10 or 12 days, and then the rest of it is online. And so that was, that was nice for me because I had a full-time job, and my wife and I were the second year expecting our her daughter. And so, yeah, so it, it worked out and, and doing that was, was really great. I got to meet some really wonderful people. And I think it was the first time for me that I ever allowed myself to prioritize writing. Mm-hmm. Right. I think for a lot of writers, it feels like a hobby and a kind of secretive hobby yeah. that if you admit to somebody it feels a, a bit like a sort of hostage to fortune or something, right. It's this sort of like, if I tell you, you're inevitably going to say like, well, you know, writers, most writers don't make it or, you know, you know, do you have anything published or they start asking questions that, that kind of poke holes in it. Mm -hmm. And so it feels like this kind of precious thing that you want to nurture on your own, but going for the MFA, I I sort of had to admit to myself, this is what I really like to do and what I want to do. And going for the MFA also allowed me to teach creative writing. So, because universities are sometimes persnickety about who gets to teach what, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. <laughs> so I, I got my MFA and shortly after finishing my MFA, I signed with an agent. I, I started querying The Forever Sea, which was the book I was working on during my MFA. I got an agent and then we, we sold the, the book and its sequel a little after that. So, nice. um, yeah, so there's, it, it, The Forever Sea was technically my thesis. Oh, um, wow. But in a, in a very, very different form. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I've I've many times thought about sneaking into the Augsburg Library and stealing the copies that are there and burning them because uh, they they don't look anything like this no. book and they're and they're pretty embarrassing. So, oh really? Yeah, they're uh, it's like totally different. I mean, the, yeah, yeah, the draft was just was totally different from this one. Whole plot points were changed and yeah. characters were different. And luckily, nobody ever goes and reads. Um, no. you know the bound theses that are that are there. Theses, theses. I don't know. What the well, maybe is. now somebody might. Yeah, maybe. I guess. Yeah. Good luck if if you find it. Don't tell me about it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So that's that's how I got to where yeah. I am. Yeah. You kind of mentioned this a little bit, but I always like asking. Um, you know, did you have a point where you felt like you could officially declare yourself a writer? Mm, I have not hit it yet. No. Still doesn't I think feel like still that. Now, I yeah. It uh, yeah. I don't know what it is. I I think I've I've sort of detached myself from like the product of writing. Mm-hmm. So even like, you know, the book is sitting right there and I know it's got my name on it, but I think I, I, yeah, I don't know. I think when I was querying agents, it's so hard to get an agent, right? And people talk about the querying trenches and, and you know, sort of um, sending out multiple queries and getting form rejections time after time after time. And I think the way that I, I tried to sort of protect myself from that and, and the kind of disappointment that can come from that is just like, if this one doesn't work out, I'll try another one. And if that one doesn't work out, I'll try another one. And and at least I'll be able to keep writing, right? Like mm-hmm. the writing is the reward. And yeah. and I, I think I told myself that so many times that it's hard for me to think of the product as, as any kind of reward. And so I think if anybody ever asks me, I don't 
talk about myself as a writer mm-hmm. because it still feels, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that'll change at, yeah, at maybe. some point. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I don't know. But it's also, you know, the, the writing, the publishing process is so slow oh, yeah. that like by the time this came out, I had written like two more books and was working on a third. And and so, I've, you know, I feel like I've changed so much since the Forever Sea came out. Mm-hmm. And when the second book comes out, The Endless Song, this January, it's coming January, I'll have already, you know, I've been working on something new. And it, and so it's it's hard to, to sort of look at that and think, well, the, the writer who wrote that was like a different me in lots of ways. And I remember being him, mm-hmm. but I'm sort of not him anymore. And so, yeah, I don't know. That's um, such an interesting... It's weird. It's an yeah. interesting thought, you know, because yeah. it's, I'm always, I'm interested writer, I guess you could say, but... Yeah. I always struggled with the same thing, like reading and writing when in my free time, mm-hmm. I, I would prefer to read than write. Yeah. So I've never, you know, I've definitely dedicated and jumped on into that side of consuming yeah. everything that I can. So yeah. it's important. I, th- I you yeah. know, I think, I think there are a lot of writers who don't read very much mm-hmm. and they, and for, for lots of different reasons, I think for really successful writers, they're, they're writing so much that they have so little time to read. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's a bummer, but I think you know you gotta you gotta put fuel into the tank to be able to go somewhere, mm-hmm. and and I think you know writing is the trying to go somewhere, and reading is the putting the fuel into the tank, and so I I think it's really important, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and also I just think like you know every writer I'm sure maybe not some writers, but I guess I look around at the great books that are out there, and I think do I want to spend my time writing something that isn't going to be as good as that? Or do I want to spend my time reading that? And mm-hmm. most times I want to spend my time reading that, right? <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, it's sometimes hard to to turn to my own writing after reading books that I'm so impressed by or that, you know, or that I that I so admire. And I, I try to write and I think, like, I'm, I'm never going to be as good as that. And mm-hmm. so why try, right? It's, it's so easy to get sort of down on yourself. So, but I think it's, reading is important. Yeah. It's a balance. It's a balance, it's for balance sure. It's a balance, for sure. Yeah. Do you have any writing habits that you usually try to, especially now you're with the second book coming out, I'm sure you have more of a deadline schedule Mm -hmm. versus the first one. So are there any sort of tricks, tips, Mm -hmm. um, you know, (laughs) what do you do to get yourself to sit down and write? Yeah. Sitting down to write, it's never been much of a problem for me. It's now that I have a, a child, it's harder, right? Mm-hmm. So, th- so that's tough. But I've always been excited to to write or, or to sort of sit down with the to, to the page. I think I don't have very many tricks or tips. Writing is always hard for me. Mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. I, I like I like doing it. For me, what seems to work best is I, I think oftentimes when I am struggling, it's because I'm not reading enough, and it's it, both reading my own stuff. It's really easy for me to kind of blaze through a scene. And, and I'll only be looking ahead and it's hard for me to go back and, and reread that scene or reread the, the previous chapter or something. And so I think I, I run into problems when I don't do that. And also just reading other stuff, you know, that I, I really sort of believe that idea about kind of putting fuel into the tank and, mm-hmm. and reading being, being that. I like to switch media a lot. And so sometimes I'll type, sometimes I'll handwrite. I have a whiteboard in my office that I like to kind of scratch things out on, you know, I have notebooks where I just doodle stuff. And Mm -hmm. so I I think for me, what's really important is like always staying connected to it. So if I'm trying to write a scene and it's not working, I'll try and do something that's kind of scene adjacent. And so I still feel like I'm, I've got contact with the story, but I kind of take the pressure off myself a little bit. Mm -hmm. I met someone, a, a writer once who talked about setting yourself goals that you could actually accomplish. And so it's easy to say like, I'm gonna write 500 words today. And sometimes 500 words flies by and sometimes it is like pulling teeth 
yeah. to get those 500 words or to get 50 words. And so I think f- for me, it's much easier. And this is what this person suggested. It's much easier to just say like, I'm going to write for an hour. And I know I've got this hour that I can set aside. I think getting good noise-canceling headphones was very important for me, especially with a a child who loves to express herself and use her (laughs) voice, which I'm very happy about. But uh, And so, you know, I can just say, like, I know I've got this hour, and I'm going to write for an hour. And regardless of what I produce, I'm going to sort of, I'm going to be there with it, right? I know a lot of people talk, you know, stuff about you have to write every day, and uh, yeah, I don't know about that. I think you should, you should, for me, at least, I, I try and have a practice that I feel is consistent, whatever whatever that means. Mm-hmm. And usually, you know, I think if you kind of buy into the process and you just say, like, some days are going to be hard, some days are going to be easy, and most days are going to be kind of in the middle, you just know, like, a hard day isn't going to last forever. So you just, you get through it, right? You show up for it and you do your best and then try again tomorrow. So that's easier said than done when you have a deadline, of course, right? Sometimes yeah. it's like... Today needs to be a good day. Mm-hmm. And if it's a bad day, that just means it's going to take longer. And that's just the nature of it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, uh, I don't know. The other thing is I think, like, writing should be fun. Yeah. And so, I think if you're not having fun with it, try and do it in a way that you can have fun with it. Right? So, I like to use, like, fancy, nice fountain pens. Yeah. I think they're cool. Mm-hmm. I don't think you need them, of course. But, no. you know, but I think it's fun. And so... Yeah. If it brings me joy while I'm doing it, I'm yeah, I'm going I'm to use them. I yeah. listen to music. I know some people don't. I have this really annoying habit of listening to the same song over and over and over. I, I do that a lot, too. On repeat, mm-hmm. um, to the point where, like, I want to listen to it long enough that it becomes background noise. Mm-hmm. And so I will do that. And the headphones are both for me and for my wife, who, you know, <laughs> would eventually come up and say, like, you got to switch the song. I can't. I just can't listen to yeah. this, like, uh-huh. one song from whoever anymore. Yeah, so I do that. But, you know, writing advice is like a dime a dozen. Everybody's oh, got yeah. writing advice, and so often it's like bad mm-hmm. advice. But I remember being a younger writer, and and still actually I really love hearing about what people do, and I never sort of feel like I must do that or something. Mm-hmm. But it's just fun, like, it's hearing what sort of like quirky things, you know, like Hemingway always wrote 500 words and he stopped at, or I can't remember if it was Hemingway or whoever. Like, I'm never going to do that, right? Yeah. But it's interesting, or the, the mm-hmm. people who are like, I put on a suit before I start writing because I want to sort of show up in, in sort of bodily form to my to my writing in a way that shows it some respect. And like, you know, I write in PJs all the time. Yeah. <laughs> but cool, right? Like, that's yeah, interesting. it works so, for you. Yeah, yeah so I, I love hearing about that sort of stuff. I, I think writers get into trouble when they take it sort of too prescriptively mm-hmm. as opposed to just like, how interesting. Now figure out what works for you and just do that, right? Exactly. So. Yeah, I know a lot of this stuff. When I was in college, I went to uh, Lawrence University in Appleton. Mm. Yeah. And um, I was in the Creative Writing Club. And when November would come around, it's National Novel Writing Month. Yes. Um, which I have attempted so many times. Mm-hmm. And we all have, yeah. <laughs> will it ever actually happen? Yeah. Probably not. Yeah. But it was always so much fun. And I mean, it was also just like a bad time at school because Lawrence has a different instead of semesters it's different so november Mm. and it was our last month of the first term so it was prepping for finals or things like that so it's also not the best time but we would um come up to bjorklinden for a weekend and that is um actually it's down the street from here i saw it is it like a big is it like a big house that the university owns or what is it so it used to be it wasn't originally owned by the university but they are now in partnership with this facility and it's tucked back in the woods you know kind of right under the lake and it's the center 
where they host different seminars and things like that. And they have lodging available and mm. like a kitchen staff. So they serve the people that are there and everything. And also growing up here because I was born and raised in Door County. Oh, cool. Yeah. So this nice. is my home, my yeah. home ground. I would, you know, have access to that for other community things. But during the school year, Lawrence students, clubs and things like that can uh, sign up for a weekend and mm. a bus takes them from the college awesome um, to Kirkland and so creative writing we would always pick a weekend for a national novel writing month and you know, attempt to do something but a lot <laughs> of uh, what we would do is you know it's kind of fun silly activities that would you know try to encourage writing so I mean we'd all work together to and personally for me, that was always very something, something that was very helpful writing, being able to immediately interact with somebody else and you know, just say, Hey, I have the sentence. It sounds horrible. Somebody help me. <laughs> um, yeah. But you know, we do stuff like writing sprints. Yeah. So somebody would set a clock and it's like one minute, go write, don't stop. Yeah. And yeah. you know, it was usually trash, but yeah. When you got to the end of it, I was like, hey, you know what? Actually, this made me think of something yeah. that I think I can work with. So, yeah. you know, doing stuff like that is always just kind of, yeah. you know, fun. I totally agree. Yeah, I think for first drafts especially, you just got to write your way through them, right? So, mm -hmm. like, you know, Stephen King talks about, like, you know, sort of feeling like he's sort of trying to outswim a shark or something. And, you know, when he's writing a first draft, he's just trying to get through or... I can't remember, like Kafka or somebody said, so, like, you have to fall faster than that which falls before you, right? The, just, like, just do it, right? Like, as mm -hmm. fast as you can, as quickly as you can. And, like, that's what revision is for, right? Mm -hmm. And so finding ways to do that I think is important. I also think your point about, like, having people you can talk to, like, uh, I talk to lots of people. You know, I talk to my wife all the time about plot points and yeah. story ideas. And it's not that, like... You know, she's a really good reader and she's really thoughtful and she will often give me great ideas, but it's it's also just valuable to sort of talk it out for yourself, right? Mm -hmm. I, I sort of stumble upon accidentally ideas that were sitting in my head all along that I just needed to sort of verbalize. Yeah. And, and that sort of thing I think is important. So having a, a writing group with people you trust, right? Or even like a partner, right? Like one person that you can kind of share ideas with or drafts with. I think makes a, a big difference. And it also, it makes you feel less like you're sort of writing alone, right? Which mm -hmm. can get can get hard, right? Yeah. Uh, you start to feel like, I'm just in a vacuum here. Just, what am I doing? This, you know, th this sucks. I don't have anybody sort of propping me up. Yeah. And, and it's easy to kind of spiral downward, I think. So, yeah, I think that stuff is really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For sure. All right. So, the HAL Prize. Yes. We're going to... Step into a little bit. Obviously, you haven't read any submissions yet because mm -hmm. we are still accepting submissions yes. through September 16th, thehowprize.com. Check yes, it out. Yes, please submit. Yes, please, please submit. submit. Yeah. You know, we've been growing and we love to see. We have just the quality of work that has especially been coming in in the last few years has just, it's been incredible. And it's always very interesting and exciting. And we get submissions from established writers who are already doing stuff. And then we also have the hobbyist writers or amateur writers. I don't like using the word amateur because that sounds, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. It sounds, it's yeah, pejorative. Exactly. Yeah. And like, that's that, you know, yeah. you know, people that like writing, but may not do it professionally when uh, looking at the submissions, yeah. is there anything in particular that you think that you would look out for that might catch your attention in a mm. submission? 
Yeah, it's so hard to say because, you know, so many different stories or different, you know, like different writers excel in like really wildly different ways. And so I think what I, what, what often catches me is a story that sort of knows what it's trying to do, where there's a, a kind of whiff of intentionality, right? Mm-hmm. And so a writer who knows that voice is their strong suit and so they're really, they're sort of leaning on it or they, they, they have this, this sort of plot idea they want to play with or, or something like that. I think stories that lean into as opposed to away from complexity and, you know, I, like I don't think every story has to be, you know, full of like figures and plot points and themes that are, you know, all like totally gray area and people just sort of look around, you know, like mm-hmm. there's some there's some writing that's like that, but I guess uh, it, it never wows me. But I think a story that can lean into complex plot or complex characters and and sort of find something there, right? A, a story that doesn't need to be sort of tied up neatly with a bow, right? Where, you know, the bad guy gets his in the end or whatever it might be. Stories that are okay with ambiguity. I really like stories that are okay with ambiguity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard. So when I read, I try to be a really sympathetic reader. So I, I try to ask at, at every at every point in the story, what is the story trying to do and can I see it accomplishing that as opposed to like, here's what I think a story should do, right? That sort of approach just feels so unproductive and uncharitable. And so I think a, a, for me, at least, a, a writer will succeed when they know what they want to do and they can convey that, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like that's not very helpful. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, so I'm going into these with a, a totally open mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always happy to see genre stuff. So, you know, yeah. I think w- when it comes to the short story, a lot of people feel they need to sort of stay mimetic or realistic or whatever. And I love those sorts of stories too, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have to include dragons just because I, I'm a fantasy author. Mm-hmm. But, you know, fantasy and science fiction and horror and romance and weird fiction and gothic fiction and whatever else, mystery, it, like there are really long histories of those genres producing fantastic short fiction, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, there, there are sort of no kind of hard knows for me, mm-hmm. I, yeah. you know, trauma for trauma's sake, I guess is, is something I'm not super interested in, but, yeah. but if, but if an author is interested in something and can say, and can show, here's why this thing is important or here's why it matters, then I'm, I'm happy for whatever. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. That's Very probably helpful. not super helpful. Yeah, I guess no, so, that's, yeah. that's totally great. Yeah. Um, any words for somebody who's thinking about submitting and isn't sure? Please do. Please do. Yeah, so I don't know. Writers are get, get sort of weird about submitting stuff, but I don't know. There's that oft-cited Wayne Gretzky quote about missing 100% of the shots you don't take. You know, blah, 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 blah. But, yeah. but I do mm-hmm. think that like at a certain point, you have to send something out. What I would say is some people hear that and say, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a first draft and I'm going to send it. And don't do that right? Mm -hmm. Revise it until you can look at it and say, it's the very best that I can do and then send it because you never know. And I do think that sending a story or submitting a story for a prize or submitting a novel to an agent or, or whatever it is to a publisher, even if that one comes back as a no, the act of doing it makes it easier to send it the next time and the next time. And so think of it as like, I'm just, I'm going to do this one and then I'm going to start thinking about what's next. And, and that's a good practice to get into. So Yeah. yeah. So send it. Send it. I'd love to read it. Yeah. You heard her here. Send it. All right. So we've covered a lot today and I'd like to kind of wrap up with just some fun stuff Mm -hmm. because I like talking about books and other things. Yeah. The first thing that I want to touch on actually, when I was going through stuff today to try to prepare, I noticed you are a fan of Our Flag Means Death. (laughs) I sure am. Okay. Yeah. That show rules. I I had to bring it up. Um, I'm kind of obsessed 
it's another, it's on HBO Max, Pirates, yeah. Blackbeard, Steed Bonnet. Who's a real, who's a real person. Who is a real person. I, just, I could not believe that when. There's this I book that I really want to get that's all about Steed Bonnet. Mm. And I mean, the cover looked fantastic. You yeah. know, it's just silly. This He's a gentleman pirate. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I had to, um, yeah. you know, since we're kind of on the. Yeah. Ships sailing, yeah, sort of pirates. There's a little bit of a connection there. Yeah, uh, yeah, I love that show. It's amazing. You know, it's so the the other thing we didn't really talk uh, about with the first we talked about it a little bit, I guess, is the primary romance at the heart of it is a queer romance. It's yeah. two women, and that was important. You know, I'm I'm a bisexual man, and that kind of representation I think is important. I think it's important to to show that stuff as being normal. Yeah, because it is normal. It just is, you know? and you know that's yeah. Like I was saying earlier, how I just really like how it kind of developed and it didn't make a huge deal out of it. Yeah. It felt right from the beginning yeah. um, and it made sense. Yeah. So there, you know, there are stories where characters coming out or having queer relationships is a really big deal. And that's the focus of the story. And I think those stories should exist. I think that's great. I think there, there also needs to exist stories where it's just very normal, right? I think the term for it is like queer norm world or something like mm-hmm. that. I don't, there's a there's a term for everything, I guess. But yeah, you know, I I came out pretty late in my life, and mm-hmm. because I came out, so I came out like after I was married, yeah. And I'm married to a woman, and I think for me to come out was not a nothing changed, right? I, mm-hmm. n- nothing changed for me from from one day to the next, and so it felt normal for me. And so this is in some ways a kind of reflection of that. And our flag means death. I think does some of that, right? There are. It's not your sort of typical pirate crew and mm-hmm. the kind of relationships that these characters have while they, yeah, yeah, they're, I think they're just shown as sort of normal and interesting and still complex and, yeah. and complicated. And that's really great. And yeah, it, oh God, yeah. that show's just so good. And it's just so good. the way that it developed over, you know, from the start to the end, you know, yes. it wasn't expected in the first episode. You're like, oh yeah, these people are kind of weird. Yeah. You know, something it's a quirky pirate crew. You got Hodor from Game of Thrones in there. <laughs> yeah, that's and, right. Yeah. You know, and all that kind of stuff. Taika Waititi uh, is in Taika Waititi, Reese Darby. Yeah, um, he's I, fantastic. Yeah. Flight of the Concords was... It's, yeah. It's it's a really incredible cast. Yep. Yeah, it's it's great. And I think they were just greenlit for a second season or yeah. they announced a second season, mm-hmm. which is great news. Yeah, I think I think it's an amazing show. It's really funny. Yes. Um, aesthetically, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's just wonderful. So I, I love that show. Yeah. I, I want to rewatch it now. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, I've already watched it twice. Actually, I watched it by myself, and then I made my best friend mm-hmm. and her sister watch it with me. Yes. She said, you have to watch this because yes. you're going to love it. Yeah. Now I also want to watch it again. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's it, good. It was fantastic. Yeah. And now back into some fun book stuff. I just, <laughs> yeah. I had to. I, yeah, couldn't, no, I couldn't resist. I'm always happy to talk about that show. But yeah. It's just, yeah, it's a, yeah. It's it's really great writing too. I mean, I think the dialogue is incredible. Mm-hmm. Dialogue is such a hard thing to do, and the the dialogue there is just it's yeah. I'm envious of, of how good it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. We're gonna try to do a few quick sort of not rapid fire. You know, I don't want to yeah. overwhelm, but sure. you know, just a couple little bookish fun sure. questions. Favorite book genre? Oh, that's a hard one. Mm-hmm. Um, fantasy, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess yeah. fantasy. Uh, mm, well, I mean, yeah. there's also a lot that fits under that umbrella as right. well. So right. I think, you know, well. f- for me, like nonfiction is a close second, but nonfiction is not really a, it's not a genre in the same way that fantasy is a genre, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it's a sort of rough 
collection. So yeah, yeah I guess fantasy. Yeah. yeah. Book media preference: audio, hardback, paperback, ebook, paperback, paperbacks. Although I've I've really been listening to a lot of audiobooks recently. I listen to them when I go for runs, and I was never an audiobook fan. I I think I'm just not a careful enough listener mm-hmm. and I kind of drift off sometimes mm-hmm. and so but I, I think you can like train yourself to listen to audiobooks oh you definitely can I yeah. did not I was also very much like mm, no not really and it wasn't until like end of 2018 beginning of like 2019 that I just was like you know what I'm gonna listen to audiobooks and yeah you just get used to it. Yes, you, know? you do. Yeah, that's you right. So, I, yeah, so I, I like audiobooks, but but paperback is my favorite. I don't like reading hardcovers all that much. Mm-hmm. I do feel, prefer yeah. a floppy paperback. Yes. I'd like a really nice floppy paperback yeah. myself. Yeah. Although this is a nice hardcover. It's beautiful, isn't it? I, <laughs> I do I, love I, it. I like it a lot. I, I mean, I, you know, yeah. you, they always say never judge a book by its cover, but I saw the cover and this I said, is a great okay. One. Yeah, this is a great one to judge. I need to learn more. And same with the UK cover. I know. Was They're just incredible. Fantastic. Right? Yeah. Yeah, Mark Simonetti does the US covers and he's just phenomenal. I mean, he's mm-hmm. just phenomenal. And the team at Titan Books, I think, does the the UK covers. And yeah, you know, some, some writers get stuck with some pretty rough covers. <laughs> and, uh-huh. and as a writer, you only sometimes have a say over it. Yeah. And so I was really lucky to just, I just have great covers. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know which God I am <laughs> pleased, but I'm, I'm very grateful for it. It worked so, out. Yeah. What's a book that made you cry? Mm, I, so after having a child, I cry very easily. Uh-huh. The most recent one that made me cry was The Relentless Moon by Mary Robinette Kowal. I was actually just listening to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was out on a run listening to it <laughs> and crying. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was a terrible time to be crying. But uh, I think that book is just, it's really, uh, it is powerful and, and quite beautiful. So mm-hmm. yeah, that is, that's the most recent one that I can think of. But I, yeah. I don't know what it was, but after having a kid, I just, I'm like always inches away from crying mm-hmm. just at anything. So, yeah. <laughs> What's your recent, your current read? I am reading My Year of Rest and Relaxation by Otessa Moshfe, which is super interesting. Have you read it? No, I have heard of it though. And it's super I've heard interesting. it's yeah. pretty good. It's great. I like it a yeah. lot. She is, she's such a good writer. So I'm reading that. I am also reading... I just started Under the Whispering Door by T.J. Klune. Okay, yeah. Um, my wife and daughter got that book for me for Father's Day. My daughter picked it out because she liked the cover and mm-hmm. thought I would like it. Uh, so I started that. And I am listening to It by Stephen King. <laughs> oh, God. That's like the... That is the trauma of my childhood. Did you read the whole thing when you were a kid? I did not read it. Yeah. Third grade. My best friend and her sister obsessed with horror movies when they were a little kid. Their mom always yeah. let them watch stuff. And they're, as she was like, as long as you know it's fake, don't repeat the things that they say in the movies. You can watch it. We were, her mom was out. It was around Halloween. We had a babysitter. Yeah. My best friend's like, we should watch it. <laughs> Is that and like the miniseries from like the yeah, 90s or something? Yeah, with Tim Curry as Pennywise. Yeah. Trauma. Trauma. I could yeah. not... Yeah. I mean, I showered. I did not shower for years, yes. but I mean, it was the so bad I would have to stand and face the shower drain and I would just stare at it yeah. because I was convinced I was going yeah. to die. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, I think there's... So I like Stephen King a lot. I, mm-hmm. I, I've read a, a whole bunch of his books and, and I like him a lot. It is the one that I've just like never made it through. Mm-hmm. And so listening to it on audiobook has actually been nice. Oh, yeah. Because I can just sort of turn it on and, you know, mm-hmm. so I was listening to it on the drive up here. I think there are big parts of that book that don't hold up very well that just 
Yeah, I don't know. The, um, I, you know, not to, not. I don't want to spoil anything, but there there are parts of the book that I wonder if he would do differently today, mm-hmm. just given some of the conversations that people are having now about literature and representation and, and things like that. But I think there are parts of that book that are really impressive. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, it's, it, I don't know. It's a weird thing listening listening or reading a book that that is that's sort of complicated in that way. Mm-hmm. I think being an English major is like prepared me for that in lots of ways you know like you experience this i'm sure you read books in classes where you think like i don't know about this i don't think this you Mm -hmm. know yeah so i've been thinking a lot about like what's the right way to respond to this to this book now Mm -hmm. and i i don't think it's fair to just say like well it's just a product of its time and let's move on because i don't know you can you can say that and that lets that lets some things off the hook that shouldn't be let off the hook and so yeah i i I don't know but i'm I'm listening to that Mm -hmm. um and there are parts of it that I like a lot. Yeah, it, the best parts I think of Stephen King are on display, and and maybe some of the worst parts too. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah, and then I'm reading a nonfiction book about World War One. Wow, so many at one time. Yeah, I I didn't used to be like this. I could, used to only be able to read one book at a time, yeah. and, and now I'm like always halfway through six different books. And yeah, I don't know. no, I've been yeah. in a a reading slump myself, and I'm just slowly crawling out of. I'm almost done with um, Dandelion Wine by Ray Bradbury. Mm. And it's one of my favorite books. Is the first yeah. book I read by him, actually. That's a book that makes me cry. Yeah. I was actually the chapter that always makes me cry. I happened to be reading in my work break oh. here. And I was like, don't cry in the yeah. office. <laughs> <laughs> don't cry yeah. in the office. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> it's hard. It's hard with books like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember reading The Road by Cormac McCarthy, mm-hmm. which is a book I like a lot. Have you read Have you read The Road? I don't. Th- I can't remember. I don't believe yeah. so. I've seen the movie, though. Yeah, so it's bleak. You know how bleak it is. Yeah. And the, the, there's a chapter at the end that really crushes me. And I remember sitting in my office reading it because I was teaching it for class and reading it and just weeping. And then a student came in and wanted to talk about her grade on a paper. <laughs> I'm going to need like 10 minutes to just compose myself, please. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's hard. What is one book that you would recommend to everybody? Hmm. Oh, man, to everybody. Mm-hmm. One book, no matter if you know, no matter what genre they usually read or their typical interests, this is something that everybody should read. Wow, what a question! Yeah. Oh man, that's very hard. A book that I would recommend to everyone—that's really hard. <laughs> it, the yeah? ones that come to mind, I—I I can think of lots of people who wouldn't like them, yeah, or wouldn't like, yeah, but but I would still recommend them. I think. Hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. I don't know that. That's a that's a really hard question. I think I would maybe recommend. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is hard. Okay, I would. Can I pick two? No, yeah. okay, no, okay, I can't. No, it's it's cheating. I won't do it. I won't do it. I would recommend. I started that sentence hoping that something was that come something out, would come it, out and it didn't. I think I would recommend Anna Karenina. Yeah, I know it's like kind of a, a frumpy choice, but I do think it's a really great book. Yeah, I, th- I think Anna Karenina is a really amazing book. Nice. Anna, All right. Anna Karenina. Final, Anna Karenina. Final, final, final answer. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. The other one I was going to pick was the um, the first book of N.K. Jemisin's Broken Earth trilogy, which I think is just, oh. I, I just think it's like a masterpiece. It yeah. is so good. Yeah. I am. Yeah. Uh, I still need to finish the last book, yeah. but. They're just incredible books. It's, I mean. it was, I remember reading it for the first time. And I mean, the way that she has it written, it's like written in second person. Yeah. And. It was so jarring at first. Yes. Just like, what yes. is this? This is not normal. But yeah. once you kind of get used to it, you yeah. really follow into it. And it was 
I was so hooked. Yes. And it, the yes. way that everything was just yeah. laid out and but like it was amazing. I was talking earlier about like intentionality, right? Having mm-hmm. like the whiff of intentionality. And I think even from the beginning of that book, her POV shifts, it's clear that she's up to something really interesting. Mm-hmm. And you find out what it is by the end, right? But yeah. And it's not a kind of cheap parlor trick, right? No. There, th- I think there are authors who do things like that where it can come across as a kind of gimmick, right? You say like, mm-hmm. oh, neat, you know, whatever. You tricked me. You got me. And this is this is not that. It's just that book is so smart and so powerful. It's just incredible. Yeah. yeah. She, she. I think she is a great author. I've yet to read anything from her that I that I didn't like. Mm-hmm. But those books and that, that first book in particular are just on another level they're yeah. just really incredible so i could agree yeah, with that yeah that i think that's a that's a that's another mm-hmm. very good one to mm-hmm. to recommend to everybody yeah yeah for sure all right well we are kind of coming up on about an hour of chatting now okay so great. Great. um we're just gonna wrap it up so details for the hal prize again submissions are due on september 16th uh, you can visit thehowprize.com, and that has information about how to submit, um, a few more details on our judges, our prize packages this year. I've changed a little bit for the photography category because that is now switched up. We have different distinct photography categories this year versus one general one. So we have landscape and nature, black and white, a few others, and we're going to be giving out a first place to one person in each of those categories and then an overall winner this year um, so you can find all of those details online at thehowprize.com don't forget to submit and thank you again for chatting it was so much fun it was great thank you for having me yeah of course thank you so much for listening to the door county pulse podcast if you want to support us at the pulse check out doorcountypulse.com shop where you can get a weekly pulse subscription Purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast and we will see you next time.